It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed a Locked On Magic. Today is May 18th, 2020. My name is Philip Rossmanreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can follow me on Twitter at philiprr-omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to wrap up The Last Dance, talk about some of the lessons that we learned along the way. And just how good Michael Jordan really was. We'll talk about all that coming up here in just a moment. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching for every download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Want the Chicago Bulls perspective on the last dance? Check out Locked On Bulls. We've, of course, got Locked on NBA covering covering the, the, the documentary as well from a national perspective. And I'm sure every Locked on podcast will be talking about this, this show because it's pretty much the only thing going on in the NBA at the moment. You can find all these great podcasts wherever you download podcasts, plus podcasts from the NBA, NFL, MLB, college, and NHL too. Download them wherever you find po- your podcasts, wherever you like to download podcasts. The Locked on Podcast Network, it's your team every day. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. As I'm sure many of you have been, the last five weeks we've been enraptured really with the story of Michael Jordan and the 1988 Chicago Bulls, the last dance. Last week, of course, was the Magic's turn. We talked extensively about the Magic's place in that story, and we'll talk about it again here in just a moment. But the thing that struck me first, uh, in that first week, was how humble the beginnings of that Bulls dynasty really seemed. How this wasn't some preordained thing. This wasn't, and I hate to bring this part up, it wasn't like LeBron James entering the league when everyone knew this guy was going to be the greatest thing in the world and would one day win championships in the league. LeBron James was inevitable. And one of the reasons why I think the Michael Jordan story is so compelling is that it was never inevitable with Jordan. It was never a sure thing. As Jerry Reinsdorf said way back in episode one, if Sam Bowie were on the board, they would have taken Sam Bowie. The prevailing thought around the league is if you were starting a team, you built from the center position out. Not with guards. Not with a 6'6 skinny kid from North Carolina. 
And yes, Jordan was skinny. And that's not meant to be an insult. Don't put me on your list, Michael Jordan. It's a compliment. To me, when I watched those first two episodes, I thought to myself, this is how teams begin. And while not every team can get a Michael Jordan, there are lessons to learn on leadership, on winning, on championship basketball that were played throughout the entire series. Throughout the entire 10 episodes. Lessons about winning in the NBA. Lessons that we've seen play out in Orlando Magic history were evident and apparent. It starts from that very first foundational piece, the piece that this version of the Magic, the post-Dwight Howard version of the Magic, have struggled to accomplish. And that is simply this. You can't really start building until you find your star. At least building on a serious level. The thing about the NBA is more than any other sport, more than any other league, star power wins. The best players in NBA history are the ones with the titles. And it's, it's that way for every sport, but... One player in a basketball game has a whole lot bigger effect than in any other sport. You took Shaq off the magic, even with a great player in Penny Hardaway, and that team was no longer a playoff team, or was barely a playoff team. The Bulls understood this. And when they picked third overall, and Michael Jordan clearly developed into a star, all of a sudden, the mindset changed. They were no longer a rebuilding team. They were no longer trying to just find their way. They were all in. And once you find your star, you do everything you can to make him better, to support him and to help him. Because once that championship window opens, it is always ticking to close. And what you have to do is you have to identify your players and be bold about getting them. The key move was not drafting Michael Jordan. That, that was, frankly, an easy decision. This wasn't picking between Dwight Howard and Mech Okafor, which was not an easy decision at the time. The key move for the Bulls was understanding Scottie Pippen was the perfect guy to partner with him and expending assets and capital to go get him. Lesson one from the last dance, then. Find your star, support him, and go get your guy. Obviously, this year's version of the Orlando Magic did not do that. As the Magic got Shaquille O'Neal, they got Dwight Howard. They found their stars. They went out and got Tracy McGrady. But what you have to do when you get that star is identify the right guys around them, which again, you could get wrong too, but do whatever it takes to go get them. The Magic understood Penny Hardaway was their guy and were willing to trade back pick up some assets to make sure they got him, to get him and to exact value from him. They went out and got Horace Grant in free agency to set up their first title run in 1995, or the first finals run in 1995. In 2009, after going to the NBA Finals, understanding that their window was open and not ready to pay Hito Turkoglu. Not, maybe Hito Turkoglu was their guy. Maybe the lesson is they should have kept Turkoglu. But they went out and were aggressive to keep that window open. That aggression eventually backfired on them when they traded for, for Gilbert Arenas and they traded away a lot of assets for Jason Richardson and Hito Turkoglu again. But nonetheless, the Magic put themselves once again in a position 
to succeed. They understood that it takes bold action to stay on top. This year's, this current iteration of the Magic obviously don't have that. They don't have the the clear-cut star, and that has been the driving force for the team since Dwight Howard left. They tried tanking for it for a few years and couldn't find it or missed out on it. They're still searching. And might come in the draft, it might come in free agency, it might come in a trade. But they're still searching for that foundational piece that is necessary for success. But that's not everything, of course. The next lesson is about toughness. The Michael Jordan story really picks up when he faces the Detroit Pistons, his first real rival, his really his only rival in his entire career. The one mountain that he had to climb. Jordan began to understand in episodes three and four of the documentary. Jordan began to understand that, yes, he could put up a lot of points and he could be the talk of the league. He could be this marketing darling. But if winning is what really drives him, it takes something else. It takes a little bit extra to get over that hump. It takes being willing to be physical and grimy and dirty. It takes understanding you have to keep your teammates involved and push them to another level too. The Orlando Magic learned this lesson going after Horace Grant, but even then, Shaquille O'Neal was still so young. As, as Jordan kind of says in episode 10, actually, I ain't Shaq. Perhaps still a perception that Shaq wasn't ready for championship contention, even though his talent was clearly getting him there. That something was off in Los Angeles that was preventing him from taking over the league, which seemed preordained in 1995. It takes a little toughness to win in this league. You have to be willing to sacrifice yourself and for your teammates if you're going to win in the NBA. The Detroit Pistons were willing to put Jordan on the ground. And each time he had to get back up and had to have the will to get back up, as the Dwayne Wade commercial always said, fall down eight times, get up nine. Those Bulls teams were considered soft for a long time. And then they beat the Pistons. Then they swept the Pistons. And the mantra for that whole team was don't show any weakness. The 2009 and 2010 Magic are a perfect example of where this goes wrong. I had a long podcast talking about Dwight Howard's career and how he seemed to lose joy in the game. But one thing that Dwight Howard always struggled with was keeping his composure. He was tough, but you could still punch him in the chest a little bit. And where Jordan had the will to overcome that and still impose his dominance on the game, Shaq had that same ability. Maybe not when he was with Orlando. Penny had that ability. T-Mac had that ability. Dwight never put his stamp on the game outside of his defense. And then even then, in the big moments of that finals, he looked a little small. Howard never got a second chance at that because against the Boston Celtics the next year, they got punched in the mouth again and the Magic did not really seem to have an answer. Give credit to Jameer Nelson, though, for his toughness in that series. He saw, he stared down adversity and and carried the Magic, really, to a game six, where they would eventually lose. And that's the next lesson 
It's all about leadership. It's all about what a best player has to do to lead his team. A part that's been, frankly, controversial about this documentary and its portrayal of Michael Jordan. So we talked a little bit about toughness and about kind of picking yourself back up. And of course, to do that physically, you have to be able to recover from the hits that you take, whether it's on the basketball court, in the gym, or in life in general. These are good lessons, not just beyond basketball. But when you're working out and you need that recovery, you got to turn to Built Bar. It is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors, and they're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They're great for health-conscious people to try and lose or maintain weight and indulge in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Try the Mint Brownie Bar. has 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 5 grams net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I think the most controversial, or perhaps to some people at least, surprising aspect of this documentary has been its portrayal of Michael Jordan as a teammate and as a leader. Look, before this documentary came out, there were already tons of stories, whether it was from the Jordan rules or wherever else, legendary stories about how Jordan needled and pushed and prodded his teammates. How he was a complete a-hole on the court to both his opponents and in practices to his teammates. His competitive edge, his competitive drive just drove people crazy. And if you were not on his level, he discarded you. I think what episode 9 and 10, if if you're looking for a story arc that, that seemed to have a happy resolution... I think episode 9 and 10 showed that the understanding between Jordan and Scott Burrell was not of bully and victim. They were teammates. And I think that was one thing that really stood out in episodes 9 and 10 especially was how much that team became a brotherhood. And how much every team becomes a brotherhood. I was thinking about how Jameer Nelson just a few weeks ago posted uh, photos of the the All-Star jerseys from 2009 and said Hito Turkoglu should have been there. And I would think most of the members of that 2019, which we will talk about throughout the course of the next few weeks as Fox Sports Florida replays their games. Talk about how that team really came together and bonded and, and, and was obviously one of the best teams in Magic history. But good teams, really every team, ultimately takes cues from its best player. Leadership is both leading by example, but also leading by words and deeds in practice. To be great, and everyone has their own leadership style, not everyone has to be Jordan. I think it's been 
very, you know, critical that everyone says, yes, this was how Jordan was. And, you know, I think people have gone a little far to, to, to call him a bully. I mean, certainly he's, he could be antagonistic. But that was Jordan's leadership style. That may not be everyone else's leadership style. But ultimately, what Jordan said at the end of episode seven, I believe, was probably the most important thing in the entire episode to understand, or in the entire series to understanding Jordan. I mean, there are two there are two quotes that that really show what Jordan's about. And Jordan was all about winning. He didn't care about anything else. He was about winning, and his compet- his competitive edge and drive pushed him to act in certain ways to be a winner. But he said at the end of episode seven, and, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, that. You know, you could say I was this or that, but you weren't there. And you weren't winning. So clearly something was working. When we were on the court, when, when we were at work, he essentially says, I was all business. And you needed to be all business. And you needed to be as competitive and as driven as I was. And I needed to know that. Because if I'm going to trust you late in the game, I'm going to have to know that you can withstand me at all times. If I'm going to trust you, that I'm that you're going to be there for me when I need it. I've got to see it in practice. i got to build that trust. As Steve Kerr said in episode 9, at that point, Jordan respected Steve Kerr, but he didn't necessarily trust him. And that moment in Game 6 of the 97 Finals when he passes the ball to Kerr, when he turns to Kerr and says, be ready. Jordan has that trust in Kerr because of everything that had happened as they were teammates in the last two seasons, last three seasons. He knew that he would be there for him. When Jordan turned and punched Kerr because Kerr would not back down from him, that was a big moment for Jordan. Very clearly a big moment for Jordan. Because he understood, because Kerr said at that, at that point, I think he gained Jordan's respect that day. In 97, he gained his trust. The most important line that Jordan says about his leadership is not that kind of, oh, you can you could say what you want about the way I led, about how I drove my teammates or, or all that. That's not for you to say as an outsider. The most important thing he said in that entire soliloquy or monologue, I don't know if it's a soliloquy, it's not, not a stage play, that whole, that at the end of episode seven, the most important thing he said was, I would not ask my teammates to do something that I would not do myself. And of course, as they're playing that, the video that they're showing is Jordan leading and winning wind sprints. The thing you got to realize is you're not going to beat Michael Jordan in very much. There, there are very few things that any mortal can beat Michael Jordan in. And if you do beat him, he's going to find a way to beat you later on down the road. That's just how he's wired. But he's going to go through that fire with you. And he wants to know that even if you can't stay on Jordan's level, that you will go through that fire with him. We talk a lot in the modern NBA about culture. This is culture. This is what the responsibility of the best player is. We can talk about great coaching. We can talk about everything else. At the end of the day, 
Your best player is going to have to carry you through some games and through some moments. He's going to have to beat set defense. He's going to have to find a way for his team when everything else breaks down. That's the burden of the best player on a team. That's the burden of winning at a high level in the NBA. Because by the time you reach the conference finals, by the time you get deep into a seven-game series, by the time you reach the NBA finals, everyone knows what's coming. That's why scores get lower as you go deeper into the playoffs and as you go deeper into a series. Scores are, scoring becomes tougher because everybody knows what the other team's going to do. And as we saw in the first round series against the Raptors last year, if you don't have someone that can beat a set defense, if you don't have someone that can will his way into the paint, will his way to a good shot, will his way to an open shot for a teammate, you're not going to advance very far. Again, this is a flaw that the current Magic have. They need that player still. They need that dude, as I like to say. But even if you have that player, the tone and example that he sets for everyone else matters just as much. Dwight Howard, like I said, extremely gregarious, and I wouldn't want him to change that. He needs the joy in the game to be, he needed that joy to be successful. But it's also fair to say you have to know when to be serious, and you have to know when you have to do something more to lift your team up. And that was Dwight Howard's greatest flaw. Watching back the first round of the 2009 series against the Philadelphia 76ers, the Magic are struggling. They're struggling to generate offense, and they try to, and early in that series, they try to go to Dwight Howard to lift him up. And it's just not there, offensively at least. Defensively, he was as, he was as on point as ever. But the Magic struggle in that series through the first three games, four, four games really, because they can't figure out how to break the Sixers down. Their best players can't get it done. And when that happened, the Sixers got confidence, they had some matchup advantages, and they nearly toppled the Magic before they could get out of the gate. But Game 5 was different. Game 5, Dwight Howard has 24 points and 24 rebounds. He's flying all over the place. He breaks Courtney Lee's face trying to go for a block. That was a game where he set the tone. And the rest of the team followed, and the momentum from even not having him in there. Rashard Lewis set the tone in Game 6 as the best player on the team at that point. He changed his style. He took over the game. He made everything easier for his teammates. That's what the best player is supposed to do. That's what it means to be the best player on a team. That's what leadership in the NBA is. It's holding everyone to... It's the best player holding everyone to a standard. However they can do it. They don't have to be Michael Jordan to do it. It's leading by example. And it's bringing everyone up with you. This was perhaps Tracy McGrady's greatest flaw in Orlando. Yes, he had terrible teammates. But far too often, with McGrady on the floor, it devolved into four people standing around on the weak side watching McGrady work. And defenses knew they could load up on him. And McGrady, like a young Michael Jordan, scored a lot of points, kept the Magic in some games they probably shouldn't have been in, but in a seven-game series got beat up. And maybe McGrady never truly figured that out. Injuries kind of kept him from doing it. Injuries to the Rockets sort of kept him from doing it. But McGrady was not a natural leader. Losing Daryl Armstrong hurt that Magic team in 2004. They needed someone that, that had a little bit of fire, that could lift other people up. McGrady just 
wasn't necessarily his personality. But even if that were the case, good teams, the best teams, all teams, take their cues from their best player. That's honestly part, again, another part of the Magic's problem currently. Nikola Vucevic is a great player. Don't get me wrong. Y'all know I am a Vooch supporter. I back that dude. Back that dude. His consistency and frankly his even temperament have been a good service to this team at least in the last two years when the Magic fully, finally fully embraced him and he led them to the playoffs. But by the same token, he is just a steady drumbeat. He is not a rock solo. He is not a guitar solo. And ultimately, yes, it's the guitar solo that bridges you to the, to the final course and gets you over the top. It's not that the Magic don't have leadership currently. They have good leaders. They have good guys. They have guys that work and play hard together. But they need someone that can take them and everyone else to the next level. That's what Michael Jordan did for the Chicago Bulls. That's the cue everyone took from him at all times. And that's why the Bulls became what they became at the end. Before we get to the final lesson, the final lesson from The Last Dance, you might want to know where to get other good lessons on leadership and all these qualities that we're talking about that we've kind of been learning and being exposed to here on The Last Dance. Well, let me tell you the best place to find the quickest and easiest way to get all this great information from the leading self-help books and nonfiction books that you can find. Let me tell you about Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. It takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to on the go. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, on your lunch break, or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and as a massive and growing library from self-help business to health to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers lists as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. It's got such popular books on leadership such as This Is Your Brain on Sports, The Science of Underdogs, The Value of Rivalry, and What We Can Learn from the T-Shirt Cannon by L. John Wertheim, and Sam Somers, Has Becoming by Michelle Obama, The Virgin Way, Everything I Know About Leadership by Richard Branson, and The Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. You'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA.
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And that brings me to our final lesson from The Last Dance. The lesson that I gleaned from watching the final two hours of the, of the, of the documentary just a few hours before recording this show. If there's been one criticism of the documentary, it's been it's sort of back and forth through time nature. The way they're telling kind of two stories simultaneously. The history of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan as well as the story of the 1998 Chicago Bulls team. And while I think there are fair criticisms on how it was structured and, and how what the balance was between the 98 the story of the 98 team and the story of the entire entire Bulls legacy. I think we can all agree it was still riveting and entertaining. For whatever flaws that we want to pick at it, it was an incredible 10-hour experience and one that we all desperately needed. But episodes 9 and 10 were the most linear of the episodes. For those that were annoyed by the back and forth of history, this, these were the episodes that felt the most grounded that told the clearest single-line straight story. Episode 10 especially just focused on that NBA final series and nothing else. We got to see that behind-the-scenes footage that was promised to us and was seemed so riveting and, and was riveting whenever we saw it. We saw Jordan at his most vulnerable in a lot of ways, or not maybe his most vulnerable because the, the, the images of him talking about his dad and, and after his, his father died were, were certainly very vulnerable. Um, the the scene of him crying in the locker room after winning the '96 Finals will stick will stick with me. That was some incredibly powerful footage. That it's a side of Jordan we we never saw. I, I know I've seen that photo before, but I've never heard it. I've never seen it like that. But the '98 team was very clearly on its last legs. They were mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted. And the '98 Finals was not easy. Of course, it came down to an incredible series of plays for the Bulls to survive and win in six rather than having to face a seventh game that would, could have very well happened without Scottie Pippen. And we might be telling a slightly different story. But the thing that stood out in those final two episodes was Michael Jordan himself. As much as all these lessons and everything that we've tried to learn and, and, and understand about leadership, about winning in this league, at the end of the day, this documentary, the Chicago Bulls, everything about this league is all in Michael Jordan's shadow. If there's a reason why he is almost universally considered the greatest player of all time, it is this. Michael Jordan is larger than life. That 1998 series, you can tell he's tired. You can tell how drained he is. How the weight of three straight championships, the weight of that season was was on him. How 
The Pacers took them to seven games. How that team was imperfect. Probably not, probably the worst of his six championship teams, maybe. And how it didn't matter in the end. In game seven, a jump ball with Rick Smits. Jordan somehow gets Smits to tap it straight to Scottie Pippen. Steve Kerr hits the three, and as Reggie Miller would say, as that game got tied, once Kerr hit that three, it felt like everything else went wrong the rest of the game. The Pacers could not beat the Bulls that year. In game six, of course, Jordan comes up with the most iconic sequence, perhaps in NBA history. A running layup to cut the lead to two, or to, to cut the lead to one, a steal on Carmelone, and then the shot. The shot that was essentially his walk-off, his parting look. A shot that the moment it went up, everyone knew it was going in because that was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan became an event unto himself in a way that so few teams have. I remember talking to Jeff Turner when the war, when the 73-win Warriors came to town and, and he said, like, yeah, this is, this is close to what it was for us in the 90s and for what, for what it was for Jordan. It's close. But it always comes back to Jordan. Some of the Magic's best moments in franchise history were against Michael Jordan. Jordan scored 52 in his first first trip to the Orlando Arena. Magic still handed him the L, winning on a last-second shot. Jordan came back two months later, had his jersey stolen. Still had like 39 points. Magic picked up the win. And one of Shaq's first games against the Bulls in Chicago, Jordan dropped 63. Second highest, or 64, second highest scoring game in his career. But Nick Anderson hit a three to force overtime, and Shaq had 29 and 14 to lead the Magic to an overtime win. There's, of course, that 1995 playoff series, which we have talked about extensively on this podcast. Please go back into our archives and listen to us talk about that series and how, and, and how it's important and how it plays into the Michael Jordan story. Nick Anderson steals the ball. The Magic go on the 14-0 run in game six. The Magic have one on Jordan. These are seminal moments in Magic history. Games that we still talk about. Games that still replay on NBA TV. Games that matter in Magic history. But let me ask you. What is Michael Jordan's record against the Orlando Magic? Pausing for effect. In the regular season... Jordan went 23-10 and 10 against the Magic. Averaged 29 points per game, 6 rebounds per game, 5 assists per game. And of course, in the playoffs, Jordan ultimately got the last laugh. Sweeping the Magic out of oblivion, and as one Twitter user put it when talking about it, Jordan literally ended the Magic franchise. Shaquille O'Neal left the next summer for a number of reasons, but... Losing to the Bulls, not getting to that championship in 96. Certainly among them. Certainly didn't help the Magic's cause. Jordan always had the last laugh. And that's the bottom line. But beating Jordan, having a good game against Michael Jordan, having Jordan in your building, was a moment, was a cause of celebration. The Magic can claim something that really only the Pistons and the Celtics can claim. They beat Michael Jordan in the playoffs. 
that is something the Magic have. That is something the Magic hold on to. The Celtics probably don't think much about it. The Pistons probably don't think much about it. It matters. It's part of their history. Beating Michael Jordan is part of their history. But it's not the most important part of their history. For the Magic, that Bulls series is probably the crowning achievement of the franchise's his illustrious history. In 31 years, beating Michael Jordan is probably the top moment in Magic history. I listed as that in, in a video I did for Fansided just about a month ago. Michael Jordan matters because he is a singular figure. One who led to the explosion of international popularity of the sport of basketball. One who, playing against him, competing against him, beating him, adds extra importance. But at the end of the day, Jordan was going to win. Jordan was going to find a way to will himself and will his team to victory. In that game six against Utah Jazz, he scored 45 points. And that's a game where they barely broke 90. He found a way. Always. Always found a way. He is undoubtedly, undoubtedly, if not the greatest player, in that top two or three. I'm a Bill Russell stan. It's going to be hard... I'm a Bill Russell saying I'm not standing for LeBron here. I'm standing for Bill Russell, who has 12 rings. And while he wasn't the offensive force, he was a wily defender. And much like Jordan, did whatever he had to do to win. He didn't care about his numbers. He sacrificed his numbers to make sure that the team worked. He, op- he operated that team like a point guard at the center position. Go, go look up Bill Russell. Watch some Bill Russell. But even a Bill Russell stand like me, understands that Jordan was a little bit different. That Jordan just captivated everyone's attention. We just spent the last five weeks, a 10-episode documentary, a 10-hour documentary, dissecting Michael Jordan's career. And all 10 hours were riveting. Not just because we're in this pandemic where there's no sports on at all, but it was riveting because he is a singular and transformational figure in sports history and in basketball history. If he didn't get drafted by the Bulls, if the Bulls didn't get Scottie Pippen, he still would have found a way to win. The greats always do. The greats always find people to come to them, and they always find a way to win. That's what happens. Jordan stands alone. And while it's nice for us to sit here and say, oh, the Magic had this win, the Magic had that win, a lot of great memories of just beating Michael Jordan once in a regular season game, in a playoff series. But ultimately, Jordan always came back. Always won. And it was, frankly, inevitable that his time with the Chicago Bulls would end with him on top that no one would be able to topple him from the mountain. And only after a couple years off and joining the Washington Wizards, essentially their owner and GM at the time, or he wasn't the owner, but the GM, but joining the Washington Wizards and still playing pretty well. Let's not forget that. He played well. just It wasn't the same. Age had finally caught up to him. But Jordan's always going to have that big moment. And he's always going to stand atop, on top of the mountain with no one there to knock him off. 
I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Of course, find us on Twitter at Locked on Magic. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, and all the places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can find me on Twitter at philiprr__md. And of course, for the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Be sure to check out the latest episode of the Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. They discuss the NBA awards, figure out who they think should have won the NBA awards as the season is currently on hiatus. Um, But great conversation there. You can download that wherever you download podcasts. But until next time, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossman. I'll see you again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.